Hello, everyone, and welcome to Any Given You. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan. We have an awesome show for you today, but before we get into that, I'd like to remind everybody that if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review. And if you've already done that, tell some of your friends about the podcast. They can catch us on all major podcast platforms, as well as our Instagram and our Facebook page and group. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen, week two preview. And dude, I am stoked. We are putting this one out today. I'm just, I'm so excited about this episode. I've waited with anticipation towards the 2021 season with the same kind of incitement that I would have towards my child's birthday or something of that sort. When when I started going live on Facebook last year with my little green notebook and giving you all the way too long uh, team breakdowns with my quirky speaking style and everything else like that, having absolutely no camera presence whatsoever, having to whisper most of the time because my kids were sleeping. I never dreamed that by next season, we'd have a legit podcast, apparel, an Instagram, a Facebook page, a Facebook group, all of that stuff. So um, it's it's been great, uh, you know, dozens, dozens of loyal fans. Um, so it's just been great. And thank you so much for all the support that uh, that I've received in this endeavor over the last you know year since we started this thing. I got a picture from my buddy the other day. It was an any given use sticker on the back of somebody's truck, uh, and I thought that was just that was so awesome to see. I, I, I shared it, so so big shout out to whoever that was. And listen, if you're hearing this and you have an any given use sticker or you have any kind of any given you apparel, do me a favor. Take a picture with it. Take a picture of it. Tag it um, at a mention at any given you on Instagram. I would love to see the you crew stand up all across wherever you're at. Let us know you're here. Let us know you're a part of the family and you're enjoying this college football content. Uh, content. I, I just love you guys. Also, big shout outs to our listeners in the United Kingdom, South Korea, Japan, and now Puerto Rico. So I'm just so thankful for all the love and support from our community. It means the world to me. Um you know, just huge, huge thanks, right? Uh, other than my heavenly father, I have to give one of the strongest and best thanks and shout outs to my beautiful, strong and sexy wife, Brooke Megan, for all the love and all the support, putting up with my wacky endeavor, becoming a sports content creator. Uh, this won't be the last time I thank you on this show, but uh, I love you and uh, you know, I never would have gotten this far without you. So thank you, baby. Back to the action at hand. We're previewing the matchups from week two. As always, we're going to give you our six game preview and predictions, a few games to look out for, a few bold predictions as we get into this week, possible upsets, and a new segment I'm going to include in here called Best Bets. Basically something we feel is a slam dunk, you can't miss, right? Keeping it safe prediction, it's a layup for potentially to lay a few shillings on, right? Uh, think of the upset predictions more like stocks and our best bets more like bonds, you know, so that you can convince the misses you know what's going on as you become a sick, degenerate sports gambler as we go forward. Not what this show's about, but again, I like being right and I enjoy bringing content that gives you an idea and a picture of what's going to happen as we move forward. The first game that we're going to preview, part of our six-game preview, is number 12, Oregon, taking on number three, Ohio State. I went back and I did countless hours of research on these teams, took a look at Oregon's tape, took a look at Ohio State's tape, and here we go. First, we'll start with the number 12, Oregon Ducks. So, 
Bottom line up front, they bring a talented defense into this competition. And make no mistake, Fresno State is actually a decent football team. They're not a bad football team. They played a quality opponent when they took on Fresno State. Fresno already had some experience beating the shit out of UConn, as we all know. And then they went to Eugene to take on the Ducks. They have guys on that defense like Noah Sewell, Mace Funa, Justin Flo, right? But the big question mark is whether or not big-time playmaker Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be good to go for the, you know, the contest in Columbus. And he is an absolute game-changer. And what we noticed was when Kayvon came out of the game, the pass rush was just not the same. It, it really wasn't. Now, Oregon did do a good job on defense of attacking the football. They got some takeaways against Fresno State. Um they, they, they did a good job with, uh, you know, getting strips and whatnot. And, they, and what you see out of this Oregon defense is they are coached to attack the ball. So something to look out for in the contest coming up against Ohio State. Flipping it to the offensive side of the ball, uh, quarterback Anthony Brown did a decent job managing the game. He's got, a, he's got some wheels to him. He can also run a little bit of mobile quarterback situation. Did a decent job making his reads, throwing the ball. But again, Oregon's playmakers at wide receiver still leave a little bit to uh, be desired. What is very solid for Oregon is their one-two punch out of the backfield with uh, C.J. Verdell and uh, and Die, uh, Travis Die. Both of those guys very good, and Anthony Brown brings that uh, level of mobility to that as well. So look for some maybe possibly designed quarterback runs to lean on this offensive line, allow them to to pick up in the running game. Oregon is capable of getting yards and they're capable of scoring on Ohio State. The defense has to sure up the tackling in the open field like we saw last year, which is still a point of concern for the Oregon Ducks and heading in against Ohio State. That could rear its ugly head in a very big way. Let's talk about Ohio State for a second. The O-line did a solid job and a decent job climbing to the second level against uh, Minnesota. Minnesota did some things along the defensive front that did give them some trouble as far as getting to the uh, the second level, but they, they were able to do it a few times in that contest. Their wide receiver room sick. It's just absolutely sick. We've talked about it ad nauseum, right? They have guys like, um, obviously, Chris Olave. They got Garrett Wilson. I mean, they're number five wide receiver or something like that, Jamison Williams. Uh, had over 100 yards for Alabama the other day because he transferred out. He couldn't get any playing time. So that just gives you an idea of what they're bringing in the wide receiver room. C.J. Stroud got his first um, start out of the way. Again, when you go back and you look at the tape, you turn it on. He had time a lot of times. It's just as far as him going through his reads and his progressions and everything else like that, I think he missed the mark a little bit. Ball placement was poor on a few of his throws because he's got slow eyes right now. So I'm sure that Ryan Day and staff have turned on the tape, gone over this with him. We'll see if he has improved in this matchup. The Ohio State defense, they flash potential, but they can get beat with physicality at the point of attack. And that is something that Oregon does bring to the table with a one-two punch. They don't just have to lean on one back like Minnesota pretty much did with Ibrahim. They have two guys that can get it done with a mobile quarterback. The corners are sus suspect for Ohio State. They face guard way too much. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of flags on pass interference in this game on both sides. So that's another way to move the ball. They had to blitz to create pressure. That pass rush is just not quite there. Minnesota does have a big offensive line, but so does Oregon, right? Um, 
and then the uh, the tackling in the open field, getting to their spots, they they left a lot of space in this game in the secondary, second, third level. So, but what you have to be in, encouraged by if you're Ohio State is the fact the fact that those wide receivers were just so open. And when you're talking about a, also another poor tackling secondary in Oregon, I think they're going to have their opportunities to score points. So here's what I'm saying. I think that this game is going to be some fireworks on offense. I think both of these offenses are going to have the ability to move the ball. I think you're going to see some poor tackling that exacerbates that for those defenses. So I like Ohio State at home to take this contest. I think Oregon's going to get their points. Let's move on. Let's talk about number 10, Iowa versus number nine, Iowa State. Iowa looks good, man. They look good, but they look good against a suspect Indiana team. I don't know how good or bad Indiana is. Michael Penix had a terrible day as far as decision-making against an opportunistic defense that was able to take advantage of that. Iowa is going to play solid football. They're well-coached. They know what their identity is. They play bend but don't break, and they're opportunistic with those moments, right, to – to, to take away the ball. So if you're looking for an opportunity, and, and again, you have a, a quarterback in Brock Purdy, who historically in big matchups has had a tendency to give that ball away on some head scratcher throws. So look out for that. I'm also looking at a key tight end matchup. Both of these squads are bringing one to the table. Sam Laporta is a beast for the Iowa Hawkeyes. And Charlie Kohler, we've previewed him all offseason for the Cyclones. He's a matchup problem. He was limited in week one because they want him ready for week two. Uh, ball security was a little bit of an issue for the for the, for the the Hawkeyes as they did cough it up twice. Tyler Goodson and uh, is, is a, a running back kid out of the state of Georgia. Very good uh, running back. Runs with a lot of physicality. Runs behind his pads. And that offensive line does a great job climbing to the second level. I think you're going to see Tyler Lindenbaum get on Mike Rose most of the day because uh, he's an, I mean, I think he's an All-American selection at center. Really good. Let's talk about Ohio, uh, Iowa State, excuse me, for a minute. I always do that. Will McDonald, I think he's one of the finest pass rushers in the country on a good defense that is known for getting after the, the, the passer, right? Mike Rose. Uh, let's see, Ashim Young, they have some dudes on this defense, and the defense did look very good in their contest versus you and I. The problem is, is because the offense's plan was so vanilla and you had Charlie Kohler out, and they kind of, you, you could tell they were keeping it safe. They were trying to get out of there with safe, and, and credit to you and I, FCS team, again, in week one that just played a ferocious matchup. They got up for this game. They brought in a good game plan. They played tough. They played physical. But that vanilla offense that that Iowa State ran put that defense on the field for a ton of snaps. They did. They, they put that defense on the field, I think, too long, and that is something to keep an eye on moving into this competition. Now, look, Ames is going to be absolutely rocking when Iowa goes into this contest against Iowa State. Iowa State is a top 10 team this year. They're an it team, They and it's the first time they've been in that role. Okay, they're kind of out of that little underdog role, and now they're one of the front runners. And we asked how they were going to deal with this kind of stuff as far as having a target on their back in these marquee matchups, everything else like that. I think all the pressure is on Iowa State, and none of it is on Iowa. Iowa has dominated this rivalry historically. 
we're high on Iowa State in the offseason, but this was one that I always still had circled as far as I knew what Iowa could bring to the table. And Iowa is playing with all the momentum right now and none of the pressure. I like the Hawkeyes to go into Ames, pull the upset in a tough physical competition with two teams that very much remind me of each other. Iowa State has more playmaking material on that defense as far as splash plays and everything else like that go, but Iowa is going to come in there with a very solid bend but don't break attack and a very solid signal caller who's not going to lose them the game as far as what he does. Solid rushing attack and a tight end stud of their own. So give me the Hawkeyes in this one. The next competition we're going to talk about will be NC State versus Mississippi State. This is an ACC versus SEC matchup. And before you just hit that, well, I'm going to go with the SEC button, pump the brakes for a minute. Let me talk to you about this. NC State is a legit team out of the ACC. They are. We previewed them in the offseason. We knew what they had coming back. We knew that they... Uh, we knew that they, you know, were going to have an experienced uh, senior team that was tough and physical, and they put all of that on display versus USF. I watched the recap of NC State USF. I was watching for, you know, the, the highlights of the game that you can catch on YouTube after. It was the shortest one of all of the games. It was only four minutes, and it was four minutes of NC State skull dragging and beating the shit out of USF. Now, I understand that USF is one of the, you know, lesser teams in group of five. They're not very good, but they still have Florida speed. They still have athleticism and it didn't matter because NC State played with physicality, great discipline, great eye discipline on the defensive side of the ball. Bam Knight and person are a great one-two punch out of the backfield and Devin Leary brings an entirely new feel to that quarterback position over Bailey Hawkman from last year for NC State. For Mississippi State, flipping it over to the other guys, that offense had a lot of trouble sustaining drives. As we saw, they dilly-dallied around. Now, good good on them for having some heart and some pride and coming back from a 20-point deficit in the fourth quarter to Louisiana Tech to win this game. But again, it's feast or famine for this offense. And I don't think that the – look – If Mike Leach is going to marry himself to this short passing game, this air raid passing game extension of the run game stuff where the ball comes out and, you know, Will Rogers having to make these passes. I'll say this for Will Rogers. He's got an accurate arm and all that. But the DNA of this SEC team is still supposed to be defense and running the ball. Now, the defense, which was supposed to be a top 20 unit, left a lot to be desired on that competition with the Bulldogs. Uh, but I'll say this, you know what is you know what's hilarious about all this is Mississippi State on the defensive side of the ball, they had blown coverage, they had poor angles, they had poor tackling, all that other stuff like that. They still displayed the elite speed that SEC teams have. And then what actually sparked the comeback was the run game. It's the run game. Mike Leach, listen to me. You need to run that offense with some balance, man, because the second you started handing the ball off, things started getting better, okay? So I don't know if that air raid shit is going to work in the SEC. I don't think it is. The DNA of this team is still to play defense and pound the rock. Look for some amendment to this uh, to this offensive plan. I think that these guys are smart enough as coaches to see that as well. And you may see 
potentially a more balanced attack out of Mississippi State coming into this one, but I don't think it's going to matter because I think NC State is a well-coached, physical football team that is going to make some noise in the ACC this year, and we said this in the offseason as we were moving forward towards the fall. So I like NC State to go into Stark Vegas and pull that upset. Well, I don't think it's really an upset. I think they're just going to go to Starkville and beat Mississippi State. Okay, I think they're a lower team, lower tier SEC team that is going to struggle this year based on what I've seen until they decide to unmarry themselves from some concepts and start playing better football. Next, we want to talk about Michigan. They are going to be at home taking on the former ranked Washington Huskies before they messed up against Montana and completely lost. So what do we see when we turn on the tape when we're looking at Michigan? Cade McNamara looked good, man. He had good release, good ball placement. Ball came out quickly. They have some dudes on this offense that are actually making some explosive plays this year. Corum, Blake Corum, kid equals playmaker. That's what I have in my notes here. Hassan Haskins equals great change of pace back with good physicality. The Wolverines look far more explosive this year. Here's the big shit sandwich that they have to eat right now. Ronnie Bell. Impact wide receiver, big play guy, out for the year, unfortunately for them. Definitely going to leave a little bit of hole there in what they're going to be able to do as far as vertical threat goes. But with the playmakers that they do have out of the backfield, uh, the solid guys that they have at two and three, offensive line looking much improved from last year. Um, you know, they they, they they look solid. Now, again, I understand it's Western Michigan is your, um, is your opponent, but Washington's opponent was Montana. And we'll start talking about Washington here in a second. Um, so they, they have to take the trip to the big house on the heels of their FCS loss at home. Um, I will say this one more, one more note about Michigan, right? Their defense is still not great up front versus the run. And if that's the case, then Michigan is going to have to do a good job of keeping offenses off schedule because if offenses are able to stay on schedule and pound the rock, you saw the Michigan defense still have an inability really to, to stuff the run on consistent downs. You saw it happen, but then you would see them give up, you know, a, uh, a run that had no, had no business being given up. Right. And so up front, still a little small, still lacking a little bit of physicality, but if they can keep teams off the schedule, uh, they do have a, a, a decent pass rush. They do a good job tackling in the open field as well. And then their backup quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, <laughs> I think that he could be, you know, uh, Michigan's Trace McSorley here. So good, good depth there at number two as far as playmaking ability and all that. He brings a different feel to the offense with his ability to do some things and has a very live arm in and of itself. The next contest I want to talk about is number 21, Utah, going to BYU to take on the Cougars. Charlie Brewer. Quarterback situation, transfer a kid from Baylor into Utah to play for the Utes. I believe that he has brought a slightly different dimension to this Utah offense that you haven't seen prior. He does a really good job hitting his checkdowns, running backs, tight ends. Still lacking a little bit of that vertical passing attack that you would want to see. But again, great ball placement, good job there, making quick early reads, making good decisions with the ball. I think he's going to be a good... Uh, can, uh, distributor of the football, right? 
We saw a little bit of coverage snafu on kickoff as you and I was, uh, or excuse me, as uh, Weber, Weber State is who they played, number sixth ranked in all of FCS, so no, not a slouch for FCS, right? Uh, was able to take one back to the house. The O-line, offensive line for uh, Utah was a little bit of a question mark, a little bit of a concern. How are they going to do in pass protection versus running the ball? They did great. They allowed uh, Brewer to sit back there. They gave him a good pocket. Again, I know it's against an FCS opponent, but it's better than looking like shit against an FCS opponent, right? Um, Let me see here. Yeah, so Utah, they, they have some big boys in the backfield. Right, they've got uh, Travion Thomas. They do, and um, they do a great job with the one-two punch they have back there. They got some thick boys, man. Uh, they pound the rock. Utah does a good job getting pressure with four. That's another thing that jumped out on tape to me. And uh, I think that they need to do a better job up front setting the edge, though. So the pressure's good, but setting the edge in the run game was something that that popped out to me when I watched this contest. As far as the tight ends go, they have a tight end combo with Brent Keithy and uh, Kincaid. They were making plays all day, able to check down and hit there. So I again, I think Utah is a very solid, a very solid Pac-12 team that I expect will go in and take care of business against BYU. I didn't catch too much tape on BYU, but again, I have a lot of faith in this Utah team. I talked about it in the offseason. Uh, as we move forward. So Utah, again, gets my vote of confidence in this one. Let's talk about Missouri versus Kentucky. That is the next matchup that I want to preview for this one because I think that this potentially could be the game to watch. Okay. Missouri, Connor Basilak at quarterback. We saw saw potential out of him as he flashed it last year in the all-SEC schedule where they ended up going 5-5. I think that this kid is very confident coming into this year, and the coaching staff has a lot of confidence in him, too. You got Tyler Beatty at running back. This guy has got great vision, great lateral movement. He's an asset in the passing game, catching out of the backfield. I think he's going to have a very solid year this year. I think he'll have a really good year. No, it's not just solid. I think he'll have a good year. Flipping it over to the other side of the football, Missouri defense, really bad tackling in the open field. Very poor in the second, third level. Bad angles of pursuit, everything else like that. And Missouri's young wide receivers also have a little trouble with timing and creating some separation. Basilak will put the ball on the money, though. I'm going to say this, though. Missouri played a good opponent. I know you're going to look at me and go, Central Michigan, Chippewas? Really? Yeah. No. Yeah. They're one of the better teams in the MAC. They're a well-coached team. Jim McElwain returned a lot from last year's squad. I, I, I previewed those guys as being a pretty decent team in the MAC anyway coming in. And there's certainly a much better opponent than what Kentucky played, right? Kentucky took on, uh, was it? U- University of uh, Louisiana Monroe, one of the worst teams in all of FCS. In fact, when UL Monroe scored their touchdown to actually take the lead on Kentucky, it was the first time they had led in a game since 2019. Okay. They are horrible. It is a horrible team. All right. Let's talk about it though. Will Levis, nice arm, good deep ball, still under throws a little bit. Okay. The O-line, okay protection versus a bad pass rush. It looked good early, but the Warhawks ended up getting some sacks where I'm like, eh, I'm not so sure. The good news for them is 
Missouri's defensive line doesn't look like Missouri's defensive line from last year. However, I will say Central Michigan's offensive line that they went against, they're huge. They are big, right? And they have some good, um, you know, power five bounce backs that have have, uh, bolstered that offensive line for them. Wandale Robinson is an absolute playmaker for this Kentucky offense. You'd like to see the change up as far as what they're able to do on the offensive side of the ball with an actual competent passing game. And the run game is still there. Rodriguez at running back for Kentucky. Benny Snell 2.0. The guy is physical. He runs hard. And you just saw like the difference, the difference in talent expressed itself on the field when you had Kentucky versus these guys. You had ball carriers dragging dudes down the field. They couldn't even tackle them. They couldn't deal with it. And again, if that's the case, what we saw on tape was Missouri's inability to tackle in the second and third level as well. So again, I am looking at two defenses that don't quite look ready. Um, well, excuse me. Missouri's defense doesn't quite look ready to play. Kentucky's defense, they look pretty solid. They look pretty good. Again, the competition, inferior, horrible even, right? There were coverage sacks caused on the day, which is encouraging if you're the Kentucky defense because you are going to have to show up and play good in the secondary, play well in the secondary against a guy like Connor Basilak. You're going to have to make him hold it in the pocket and hope that your pass rush can get there as well. What I think is these two teams are actually going to be very evenly matched, but I have to tip the advantage towards Kentucky because they are at home. Okay. That takes us through our matchups. So again, we've got Ohio State winning against Oregon. We've got Iowa beating Iowa State. We have NC State taking it to Mississippi State. We have Kentucky winning at home against Missouri. We have Michigan taking it to Washington at home. Uh, Washington, like, I didn't really talk on them very much. I just realized, here's the deal. The coaching decisions in that game really made me scratch my head. The run game was there early. For whatever reason, they decided they wanted to force the square peg into the round hole and go with these open sets passing and everything else like that. And that is just not the DNA of this Washington team. It's clear to see. I don't know why they abandoned the run game the way that they did. I didn't see anything that Montana did to take that away. So if they get back to basics and they pound the rock on Michigan, they could have success moving the ball and hitting pay dirt because, again, we previewed the Michigan defense not exactly strong at the point of attack against the run, but if they're able to keep them off schedule, that Michigan pass rush will eat them alive with that very, very inept passing game from Washington. We still like the Wolverines at home, and then we like Utah to take care of business against BYU. Other games to watch out for, Kansas's public execution at the at the hands of Coastal Carolina for the third or fourth time, 7.30 Friday ESPN2. Pitt versus Tennessee, Saturday at noon on ESPN. The Panthers take a trip to Neyland Stadium, and I like I like the balls in this one, man. I, I do. You know, SEC, ACC matchup. That place is going to be absolutely rocking for this one. And Tennessee doesn't look quite as incompetent as they have over the last couple of years. UAB versus number two, Georgia, 3.30 ESPN on Saturday. Take the under as UGA is battling all sorts of adversity in terms of health. And the offense is going to struggle because you might even see uh, Beck make his first start at quarterback as JT Daniels is dealing with an oblique deal. And they also are battling COVID-19. I think that this offense is going to look very pedestrian and limp 
through the first part of the season, but the defense will still be fantastic. Take the under. Buffalo versus Nebraska, Saturday, 3.30 on Big Ten Network. We like Buffalo to cover the 13.5-point spread in this one because I have no faith in Nebraska. Number 15, Texas takes a trip to Arkansas, Saturday, 7 p.m. on ESPN. This will be a good acid test for Texas as they loom to join the SEC in the future years against a lower-tier SEC team. We'll see what Arkansas can bring to that competition. Upset alert. Miami, you are on upset alert. You are go- going get to get one of the uh, the better group of five teams in the country on the heels of getting smashed by Alabama. The snap count was high on that defense. Okay, and App State has a history of knocking off power five opponents, and they'll be bringing their A game so that Hurricanes better be ready to play. Here's our best bets. Boise State hits their spread versus UTEP at minus 26. This team is at home, coming off a dogfight with UCF, ready to get back on track against the team in UTEP that's 2-0, but those wins are against New Mexico State and Bethune-Cookman University. And then Purdue covers versus UConn. Any bet as far as UConn getting smashed this year I think is going to be a safe bet. So that is our best bet to round out the end of the show. And hey... If you enjoyed what you've heard here today, then please do us a favor. Subscribe, follow podcast. Five-star ratings are also appreciated, or at least tell a few of your friends about the podcast. You can catch us on all major podcast platforms. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, at any given you as the handle. And obviously, if you're watching this on Facebook Live, it's on the group. So tell your buddies to get over here too. If you'd like to get you some any given you swag, Go ahead and hit our store on squadlocker.com. Search the Any Given You store. Again, proceeds given to charity. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given topic, you get it at Any Given You.